Hey everybody and welcome back on the Macro Compass. This week we're going to discuss the hidden US dollar debt story that BIS published a paper on, but we're going to do that in plain English, a bit of Italian accent, you're used to that, uh, because this story is very important. This paper is making the rounds, but actually the final takeaway and a deeper analysis points to a more nuanced take and the clickbaity doom and gloom headlines that you've probably seen around 60 or 80 trillion of uh, dollar debt outstanding off balance sheet. Now, before we go into the deep dive, you should know that the king dollar matters, first of all. Setting the stage, it's important to know that our monetary and credit system is dollar-centric. The lion's share of international debt issuance, trade invoices, asset class denomination, FX volume is settled or denominated in US dollars. Now, funnily enough, the direct access to dollar liquidity is only available to entities, of course, located in the United States, but in a credit-based system, the rest of the world also has an incentive to leverage in US dollars to boost or enhance their global business models. I mean, think a European bank or a Brazilian corporate or a Japanese insurance company. They maybe want to do global business, and most likely if they want to do so, they need to get exposure to dollar-denominated assets and liabilities, also known as dollar debt despite being domiciled outside the United States. Now, the required dollar funding, of course, can happen on balance sheet, for, in for instance, issuing debt or doing a repurchase agreement, repo transactions, can also happen off balance sheet. And the FX derivatives market is an important part of the latter off balance sheet dollar funding. And it's the focus of the latest BIS report, which is making the rounds. And we want to try and examine in this the Macro Compass article. Indeed, discuss the BIS paper. We'll have a deep dive into the hidden dollar debt story. We're going to do that in English in 15 minutes. And we're going to present our conclusion and findings about uh, this very important topic. Now, let's first define some basic concepts. A Japanese insurance company which wants to purchase U.S. treasuries, they need dollar funding for, for this transaction. The same way a Brazilian corporate needs dollar funding to boost their international trade activities. For instance, if they're selling commodities, they want to sell more, they need to lever up their balance sheet to do some investments, they probably will need dollar funding. Now, dollar funding can be achieved outside uh, the US borders via issuing dollar debt or repo funding. Those are accounted on balance sheet and they are easy and transparent to track. We know there are roughly 20 to 25 trillion of dollar denominated funding sitting outside the United States. That's a very big number. But there are also ways to get dollar funding off balance sheet. You can do that with FX derivatives, mostly FX swaps and cross-currency swaps. Sounds complicated, guys, but really it's not. And this market is mainly behind what the BIS called hidden dollar debt. Now, let's make some definitions here. An FX swap... Follow me, it's very simple. It's an agreement in two steps. Let's say I'm a Japanese insurance company and I wanna buy US treasuries. Now I can sell the Japanese yen to buy the dollar spot today. That's the first leg, it's a spot exchange. Now I'm a Japanese insurance company who sold yen and I have my hands on the dollar. I buy the treasuries with these dollars. I also, in the effect swap transaction, agree with the counterparty to sell back the dollar and buy back the yen at the pre-agreed price at a given date in the future. That's the forward agreement of the FX swap. Basically, I borrow the dollars. We exchange them spot, but I'm promising to pay them forward in exchange 
for my domestic currency back, which is the Japanese yen. In the meantime, I've used the dollars to buy the US treasury. Now, notice how we exchange the full principle at maturity. I need to sell back the dollar, the full notion of the dollar that I basically borrowed, and I need to buy back uh, my, my, uh, my yen. In other words, this is a secured loan, which is secured and collateralized by the foreign exchange amounts. This is a property not common to all derivatives, makes this transaction somehow similar to a funding deal, actually. Seems pretty easy. It is that easy, really. The cross-currency swap market is basically the same. It's just that it's a longer duration kind of funding transaction, and we exchange cash flows also throughout the life of the transaction. But now, why does the BIS tag the dollar FX derivative funding as hidden debt? because accounting rules allow for FX swaps to be off balance sheet. So basically, the transaction I just depicted, where a Japanese company effectively borrows dollars in the FX swap market, when they report their balance sheet, it will not show in their balance sheet. FX swaps are shown on a net basis accounting-wise, which means on the asset side, you'll see the foreign asset, the foreign bond, in this case, the treasury, but you won't see the funding transaction underneath in the balance sheet reporting. They're reported on, an, on a net basis. If instead the Japanese company would issue a dollar bond or they would do a repo transaction, you would see that both on the, on the liability and on the asset side of their balance sheet because repo and debt are reported on a gross basis. Now, of course, um, these are derivatives, derivatives transactions, so uh, they require variation margin, uh, which means that uh, basically, the counterparty, which is underwater, will need to post variation margin, and the mark-to-market of this derivative is always continuously recorded. But on average, it accounts for only 5 to 10% of the notional amount. So the question the BIS asks themselves is, how big are these notional FX derivatives funding transactions that are not reported in balance sheets? And the answer is around $60 trillion. That's three times the dollar funding transactions which are recorded on the balance sheet. This number is absolutely massive. So, of course, the speculation around is that everything is going to collapse. But I invite you to hold your horses because it's more nuanced than it seems. Now, first of all, notional amount in derivatives generally matter very little. These contracts are often used to offset existing position and also being centrally cleared. And given the variation margin exercise, the mark-to-market is very often continuously accounted for, and there are margin posting exercises behind. So it's very well controlled, and often derivatives serve to offset existing positions. Now, the main question is, who are the players involved, and are they really offsetting existing positions? Now, the biggest players involved here are, uh, say, banks that are sitting outside the US, so let's say a European bank or a Japanese bank, and um, corporates sitting outside the US. I made an example of a Brazilian corporate uh, and also non-bank um, financial institutions. So that's pension funds, insurance companies, maybe sitting in Japan and wanting to buy assets in dollars that yield more than 0%, which is what they've yielded in Japan for most of the last decade. Now, the BIS shows as well in their paper that there is quite a tight relationship between um, the amount of items to hedge with these FX derivatives and the growth in notional of this FX derivatives position. In other words, uh, the FX derivative notionals that are sitting on corporates and banks balance sheet in the uh, outside the United States, as they grow, there is a positive relationship be between these items to hedge 
and the growth of the FX derivatives market. So a $1 billion increase, for instance, in quarterly global trade is associated with the 660 million increase in FX derivatives position by corporates. In other words, what I'm saying is that if a Brazilian corporate sees their business growing, they're selling commodities, say denominated in dollars, they keep getting continuous access to dollar cash flow because of their flourishing trade business, actually using these FX swap derivatives will be a risk mitigating exercise because it will allow them to smoothen the FX risks ahead. In other words, in this case, the notional of this FX derivatives market might be gigantic, but in reality, they're just offsetting existing positions. Now, because of what I just said, and because of the fact that these um, FX derivatives are obviously uh, margined, mark-to-marketed, uh, centrally cleared, et cetera, there might seem there is nothing to worry about. But again, it's more nuanced than that, and there are material downsides to this system as well. And in short, there are two main problems. The first is that plenty of dollar funding needs for entities outside the US means that a continuous flow of fresh dollars is necessary for this system to stay in equilibrium. The second problem is that there is, there is a clear maturity mismatch between the dollar funding and dollar assets or dollar claims. And hence the rollover risk during stress times can be pretty large. What if lenders of dollars step away from this market exactly when the borrowers need to roll over their dollar funding as an entity outside the US. And I posted a chart in the article that perfectly explains, I think the first problem that entities outside the US, uh, which are leveraged in dollar and have needs in dollar funding, they also need a continuous flow of fresh dollars to keep the system afloat. Now, this chart shows the year on year change in Korean exports against the performance of the dollar lagged by nine months. Now, the story goes the following. Let's say you're a Korean exporter, and as long as exports are growing, you probably will sell these exports denominated in dollars. It means that dollars are organically flowing to Korea. And the dollar actually, in that case, doesn't appreciate against other currency. It often depreciates when global trade growth is strong. Why? Because dollars are organically flowing towards borrowers. So there is no dollar rush, basically. But if the trade growth music stops, and you can see that in the article, the dollar with a few quarters of a delay tends to rapidly appreciate instead. And why does that happen is that a Korean exporter that has leveraged its balance sheet in US dollars to enhance its business, they won't have a problem in periods of strong growth. Dollar organically flow, and the Korean exporter can easily service its dollar-denominated liabilities with the new continuous fresh flow of dollars coming in. But when these dollar cash flows dry up, the economy is weakening, global trade growth is slowing down, all of a sudden, servicing the very same dollar denominated debt becomes very hard. And in a snowball mechanism, imagine all foreign entities which are leveraged in US dollar. At that point, they have to try to deleverage in US dollar, which means, in other words, they have to bid up the dollar itself, which in turn ends up hitting other foreign dollar borrowers, it's basically a self-fulfilling prophecy, which strengthens the, dollars the dollar very aggressively. In other words, I'm describing the dollar wrecking ball in action. The other problem with this system is the second problem I highlighted before is that off-balance sheet dollar funding in FX derivatives, it's very often short-dated. FX swaps generally mature within one year, but assets that in principle are offsetting these liabilities are much longer dated than that. And hence this funding must be renewed 
three months every three months, year after year, which means there is a very large rollover risk. Let's take a Japanese insurance company. As I said before, these guys are heavily involved in purchasing 10-year treasuries or 30-year treasuries and funding their need for dollar in the FX swap market. In other words, if you remember the transaction, they would sell Japanese yen, they would buy the dollar spot, they would purchase the US treasuries with it and agree to pay back those dollars for having the Japanese uh, yen back in one year from now. Now, for long periods of time, as you can see in the chart in the article, between 2010 and 2020, this was a very lucrative exercise. The chart below uh, that you can see in the article shows the additional yield that the Japanese insurer would get from doing exactly this, purchasing 10-year treasuries, hedging the dollar-yen risk with a one-year FX swap, borrowing the dollars, and what is the additional yield that would generate from doing all this exercise, including the borrowing cost, instead of just buying the Japanese government bond? Well, the yield pickup over the last 10 years has often been in the 100 plus basis point area. Now, notice how in this transaction, which seems very lucrative and very easy, the US Treasury, which is the asset, the tenor of that is 10 year. The funding, the FX swap, the tenor of that is one year, which means the Japanese insurance company needs to roll over their FX swap every year. And it works fine if there is a little volatility and lenders of dollars in the FX swap market are there. But what if they're not there when you need them? In September 2008, for example, the FX swaps market completely froze. And this FX swap costs to actually borrow dollars suddenly became 100 basis points more expensive in a matter of few days, and foreign investors were left to scramble. Now, concluding, there are tens of trillions of off-balance sheet dollar funding exposure. That sounds very scary. But with a deeper assessment, you can have actually a more nuanced take and some important takeaways. First of all, let's actually um, stem off some of the clickbait. Balance sheet doesn't mean it's going to blow up. These FX derivatives require variation margins. There is a mark to market. They're, 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 they're mostly centrally cleared, et cetera, et cetera. Second, a good portion of this dollar funding offsets existing dollar positions. We talked about the Brazilian corporate that is selling commodities in dollars, and by doing FX swaps, is actually mitigating their risk. Now, in any case, the current dollar-centric model also incentivizes foreign entities to borrow in dollars and therefore is definitely prone to strains. There are two main reasons why these strains might arise. First is that all these dollar funding needs for entities outside the U.S., means that a continuous flow of fresh dollars is necessary for this system to stay in equilibrium. If this oiling mechanism stops, if global trade growth slows down, the scramble for dollar begins. The second is that there is a clear maturity mismatch between dollar funding and assets or claims in dollars. Hence, the rollover risk during stress times is very elevated. For instance, in 2008, lenders decided to step away exactly when uh, the borrowers of dollars needed to roll over the dollar funding, and there was nobody to lend them dollars. That also need, uh, leads to a snowball effect when dollar borrowers are scrambling for dollars again. So how do you know whether we are in a, in a regime of ample dollars or scarce dollars when it comes to funding? Monitoring global trade growth and signals coming from the derivatives market is vital to keep the pulse of this very fragile system. Luckily, the macro compass should be able to help you thanks to our data-driven macro approach and interactive tools. They will monitor market signals across asset classes, including derivatives. 
Now, this was it for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Finally, a quick reminder that from January 1st, getting access to this content and much more, for instance, the interactive tools I was just discussing will require a paid subscription. As a loyal The Macro Compass reader or listener, there is, again, an exclusive offer for you. You can get in now and pay only nine months instead of 12 and get access to the TMC content for the entire 2023. But the offer is time and seats limited. It runs for only three more days until December the 10th. And out of the 1,000 available spots, 178 only are left. Basically, the last round, the last days to take advantage of the exclusive offer. So go in the article at the top or at the bottom of it. There are two buttons. One, it's called Join Now, and the other, Get Me In. And you can check which subscription tier suits you the most and take advantage of the offer before December 10th. We'll talk again on Sunday, and uh, 